Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Welcome back, everybody, to the Habitat Podcast. This is the podcast for becoming better habitat managers. I'm your host, Jared Van Heath, and if you haven't been here before, thanks for coming. I'd like to also thank our, you know, faithful, loyal listeners who've been with us since day one, and everybody who's joined us along the way. You guys are awesome, and you're the reason we do this. We're back. It is the rut. Tomorrow is Halloween. I can't even focus right now. I mean, I all I can think about is getting in the tree. I'll be in the tree uh, November 1st and 2nd all day long, so I have to go to work at Halloween, do the potluck thing, come home, trick-or-treat with the kids, all that good stuff. But it is here, guys. If you're not in the woods, I urge you to get in the woods. We are covering an episode about somebody who is just in the woods tonight, Brian Hallbly. Our co-host, this is a game plan episode, guys. Brian shot a slammer Pennsylvania buck a couple days back, and we're getting him on here to cover the story, so stay tuned. I want you guys to listen along, try to take a tip or two from Brian, see what he has to say about some public land hunting, and, uh, you know, get out in the woods. Like I said, the rut is on, and, uh, you know, put this game plan to the test. See if you guys can kill one. I, ho- I wish you guys luck. Uh, it should turn on or be on over the next week or so. I just had a spider come down on my face. That's pretty random. Uh, anywho, thanks again, guys. Let's get right into the podcast. Brian Hallbly, Pennsylvania, Habitat co-host, Game Plan. And we're back, everybody, another Game Plan episode of the Habitat podcast, but this one's a little bit different. Our co-host, Brian... Killed a big old buck already. 
So now we get to hear it from the man himself. Brian, are you there? Yeah, still floating on still still floating on cloud nine. Oh man. Now not just because I like you and because I respect you, but that buck is um beautiful. Just just sharp his sharp features on his rack, the the points and the bladedness and uh the dark color and I mean literally a gorgeous buck, man. Nice job. Congratulations. Thank you very much. Yeah, it's a nice specimen for Pennsylvania. Those don't come around for me too often here. I mean, they're here, but uh, I've been living here my whole life. It's nice when everything comes together and you can make it happen on one. Yeah, and you did just that. I was on my way to uh, duck hunting over the weekend, and you know, when you get a text from your buddy about knocking a big buck down, you're going duck hunting. You're like, what in the world am I doing right now? But uh, <laughs> no, let's let's get right into it, man. Let's um let's hear about the the story, your your plan of attack, um, and then maybe how some of the people who are getting out this week, as everybody knows, can can take that game plan and maybe incorporate that into some of their strategy. I know I'll be out in the next few days, so. Um, Sure. Why don't you walk us back to maybe how you found the spot or what, why you hunted that spot that day, uh, and just take it from there. Yeah, definitely. Uh, most of the listeners know I live in southwest Pennsylvania, uh, just west of Pittsburgh in a little township. It was a lot more rural when I first moved here 20 years ago, and it's uh, a lot of the farms have gotten developed since then. But uh, we're lucky that we still have some terrain features, some deep valleys and high points that keep everything from getting totally suburbanized. But uh, fortunate to have a lot of good spots close to home. It's nice to tap into that resource, you know, if you only have a few hours after work or you don't want to put too much pressure on my small farm. And uh, there's a sportsman's club just a couple miles from my home. They've got about just under 100 acres. But the way that they are situated, there's a lot of public land around it that's owned by the township and some various uh, government conservation organizations that uh, are open for public hunting. Now, the Sportsman's Club, you have to be a member to hunt there. But uh, I've been a member for 20 years, and you know, just about anybody can do that with, with an application and you know, as long as there's memberships available. But uh, it's pretty pressured, you know, a lot of guys that, that might be their only spot, spot that they have to hunt. But uh, I just decided to check out this one ridge because I'm sure lots of guys are familiar with the hunting beast. And you and I have talked about that a lot, Jared. And uh, I've been getting more into researching that and uh, trying to learn how those guys are, are being more successful with that type of uh, style of hunting. And a friend of mine, Mike Perry from Pennsylvania, I've known him through the United Bow Hunters for quite a few years. And uh, we got together at my farm, and it turned out that he has a lease like not even 10 minutes down the road from my Ohio farm. And I actually helped him track a buck last year. But that brought us to a conversation about how he hunts, and you know, he's he's a lot more aggressive than I am. And through talking with him, I, I found out that I could probably benefit from trying to be a little more aggressive because I have the tendency to sit back 
and probably let a lot of opportunities pass over the years that I should have taken advantage of. So well, I don't know. I mean, I think just to talk on that real quick, I don't think that's a bad thing, though. I mean, I sit back a lot. Uh, I don't even go in, you know, for for weeks before I, I go to a certain spot or two. So I think uh, I think maybe I take that with like a you know, it, it's all situation based, right? Right. So, anywho, continue. Yeah, definitely, definitely, and I, I probably should have clarified, like with oh, no, most, of the, most of the beast uh, hunting style guys have multiple public land properties that they can afford to be more aggressive. So, if they go in after a specific buck and they blow the buck out, it's not the end of the world. They could jump over to the next property. Great Whereas point. Yep. The example that you brought up about sitting back with our small farms, you have to because you're going to blow everything out of there if you don't. So I, I should have clarified that. That's great. Good point that you brought that up and make that a little clearer for everybody. Oh, no, you're good. So one of the major components of beast style hunting is trying to locate where the bucks are either A, bedding, or spending their travel time during the day, which isn't very very often throughout the season, as you know, like, the rut, obviously, they're going to be up and moving a lot more during daylight hours. But preseason, you know, they're going to bed closer to places where they have security. They might get up and move a little bit during the day to get some water, get some food close by. But they're not covering tons of ground like the does are in the early season. So one of the tactics is to uh, find a ridge top with a steady wind and what those bucks like to do from what I understand, but, you know, I'm no expert on the beast style, but the way that I understand it is that they like to travel that um, third of the way down from the top of the hill on the leeward side, which means the wind will be blowing over top of them a third of the way down. And with the thermals coming up in the morning, that creates kind of like a tunnel. So, they have the advantage of smelling just about everywhere. Plus, looking down off of a ridge, they have the advantage of being able to see anything that's coming up from below. Oh so, man! And and that is all. Is that the same as a military crest? Correct me if I'm wrong. Yes, no? so that, that's a, how I've heard it described. Correct. Oh, okay, great. That sounds very so, tough to try to hunt a deer on that spot, considering he has every advantage, um, you know, in his favor there. Absolutely. And and the thing that you have to try to do is hunt it, obviously, on the right wind. Um, and also, when you're giving them the advantage, you know, we, we always hear everybody talking about just an off wind, just giving the buck just that little bit of advantage to think that he has the win, but you're in the spot where he doesn't. And that's that's what makes it tough, you know. If you get too aggressive you know, or you get a wind switch or – there's so many things that can go wrong, which 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 makes it very difficult to take advantage of. So I have a spot on the sportsman's club. It's on a ridge, and the point of the ridge comes out of a subdivision, which is at the top of the hill, and it points north to south. So the northern part of the point would be the wooded point before it drops off into the creek bottom, into the drainage, and they uh, 
you can you can get away with you know a, a good win for that could be east or west or any version of like something that's going to roll across however that uh point is situated now obviously blown back towards the subdivision it's all flat so you're not going to make anything work there but an east wind would be good for the west side of the ridge a west wind would be good for the east side of the woods and, and east side of the ridge and so on and so forth so on this particular day and i i had never stepped foot in there to scout i marked it on a map on a top of a map over the summer while i was doing some research oh wow and uh learning about the, the beast tactics and i just had it earmarked to say okay i want to get up here and check this out early spring early summer and just never got around to getting up there and so uh, we got a rare east wind on Friday, which that doesn't come around very often this time of year. And the way that that ridge is situated and the access, more importantly, for an east wind would give you a really good opportunity to get up there. Now, not being up there on foot, I have no idea exactly where those bucks were bedded, but I've seen them at night coming out into those subdivisions. The way that that ridge is situated that juts out into the woods, there's really only so many ways that they can go back into the bedding area. So I decided, uh, check the weather Friday morning when I got up, and I decided, you know what, I'm just going to give it a shot. So I drove down to the Sportsman's Club, pulled in the parking lot, fingers crossed, hopefully nobody's here, it's a Friday. <laughs> hopefully everybody's at work. And fortunately, there were no vehicles there. So it's kind of like, I mean, it is public hunting because people can apply to be part of that club, but it's it's a little bit different as well. Like, you're still dealing with pressure um, right. from multiple people. It's not like you can let that spot sit all year and go in when you want to. Interesting. And, I didn't know that. And it's one of the uh, better sportsman's clubs in the Pittsburgh area, especially the West Hills where I'm at. So there's there's hundreds and hundreds of members. and. Guys got cameras out everywhere, and there's, you know, oh, wow. there's always uh, something going on at the club. You know, different nights of the week, there's trap shooting. They've got 3D archery some of the weekends that actually goes in through the woods. So it's it's pretty pressured for a, a sub-100-acre property. Are we giving away your spot by doing this podcast? No, no. Everybody already knows. I mean, <laughs> I've, I've gotten I've gotten so many pictures from trail cameras of guys were after this buck, and I didn't even know if this particular buck was there, but I knew there were mature bucks in the area. I love it. Nice job. Keep going. Okay, so I pull in. Uh, it's going to be a good hike to where I have to get to. I mean, there's other ways you can access it, but. I knew a particular way the wind was blowing, and I knew a trail that I could get up, go around this drainage. It was quite a hike. It gets pretty steep once you get back in there, but I knew it would be worth it once I got set up in there. So it was 37 degrees that morning, so I thought, well, these bucks are probably going to be on their feet at least a little bit around their bedding areas coming back from their nighttime excursions. So I got up in there, and you know, not setting foot in an area and trying to find a tree in the dark is, is pretty interesting. So I've got a mobile setup. A lot of guys have their own opinions on what's the best. I use a lone wolf. Got lone wolf sticks. It's lightweight. It's easy to set up. So I'm up in the tree. You using the, the assault or the alpha? The assault. Gotcha. 
continues there. Sure. And uh, get set up about a half hour before legal shooting light. Get settled in. And uh, just waiting for the sun to come up. And as the sun's coming up, I'm looking around and going, well, the good news is I got some cover around my tree. I picked a good tree to set up in. Bad news is there's only like two or three shooting lanes. <laughs> so I'm able to see, since some of the leaves are changing colors and falling, I'm able to see the top of the ridge. So I, I said, okay, good. I got, I got the third of the way down here. I picked the right spot there. The wind's coming at me. I'm not going to be boogering anything up out of the bedding area. And I'm just like caddy corner off of an off wind off of the military crest where I'm hoping these bucks will come back in the, into their bedding area. And part of that top of the ridge is really thick. And it's a really good transition line from the open timber to the thicket. And my hopes were that I was within striking distance of the bedding area without making too much noise. So about 45 minutes goes by. Uh, it gets to be about 8 o'clock, and I hear a cough. And honestly, it sounded like a, a person coughing. Uh-oh, public and, land hunting, you never know. If yeah. You know, another guy in the ridge. But the, the leaves were so dry that morning, I, I knew there was nobody around and there was no cars. And I'm thinking, well, I've heard people talk about deer coughing, but I've personally never heard it. So I sat there for a couple more minutes, and I just thought, well, maybe that was a, a deer that coughed. So I took out my grunt tube. I had it set on a young buck grunt, and I gave two soft young buck grunts and put my call tube away. So about five or ten minutes goes by. I hear what I think is a deer coming down that military crest. He would be coming from the south, and I'm set up just, what would that be, north west of this military crest so he's coming from the south he gets to a sort of a little bit of an opening i just see antlers and immediately i say this is shooter because in pennsylvania i don't have super high standards uh, there are some very nice bucks here but anything that's pope and young or anywhere near that is an automatic shooter for me especially having an ohio buck tag in my pocket still oh yeah for sure so he rakes a tree. Uh, couldn't tell if he was doing any type of scraping, but he was definitely making a, a rub. And as he was making a rub, he was going behind a big tree. And once he had his head down, I just shifted a little bit to the right because he was coming down to the right side of me about 30 yards. And as I shifted, his head came into that shooting lane and he looked right in my direction. Uh-oh. And I thought to myself, there's no way that he saw me. He had his head down. He was working that tree. There was brush around before he got to that opening. And I'm like, here we go, you know, because we've all been there. You know, once once they look in your direction, it, it's not going to be good from there. Game over, usually. Right. So I'm watching this deer, and his tail is still down, and it's just flickering. Like he's happy as could be. And it takes me a few seconds, but I figure out he doesn't have any peg. He probably saw some movement out of the corner of his eye. But there's squirrels running around like crazy and chipmunks and everything else while this is all going on. So I'm like, okay, 
the tail's flickering. This this is going to be a good thing. But he just stood there and stared and stared, and he's looking and he's looking. So I just sat there as calm as I could be. You know, you're shaking like a leaf inside, trying to keep your, <laughs> your bow from <laughs> trying oh, to keep yeah. your bow from giving your position away. And so he takes a couple more steps. Are you sitting or standing at this point? I'm sitting. Okay. I just shifted to my right so I okay. could get a get a clear straight shot to this, which I thought was a 30-yard lane. And so he steps out, and his vital's clear, and I and he's still looking in my direction, but his tail's still flickering. And I thought, well, it's now or never, because like I said, there was only two or three shooting lanes. That was the only one that was to my right. If Once he kept going, he was going back into the thicket, and I wasn't going to get a shot. So I drew my bow back, and he stood there looking at me, and I did my sequence. I put the pin where it needed to be, squeezed off the trigger, and I knew immediately that it was a fantastic shot. Awesome, man. And then what happened? Pass through, how far was the shot? Where'd he go? Well, on impact, he went down on the ground. It almost looked like I rolled him when that rage... When that rage hit him, it almost looked like it rolled him. He jumped back on his feet, headed downhill towards the truck, which was fantastic, and was sliding and going down on his belly and uh, went down to the creek. There's a real sharp drop right before the creek that's running down there. So I lost sight of him as soon as he dipped down into that creek bottom. But I felt really confident about the shot, and, of course, you know, you and Al got the text message and a couple other buddies that Oh yeah. I just I just hit a big PA buck. And uh just tried to calm myself down and I always give the deer an hour, especially in the morning. I mean you have all day. Uh, and I thought to myself, Well, if if anything it might have been but I was really confident in the shot, but I figured, you know, I'll still give it an hour. That's my standard. And uh gives me time to pack up my stand and get calmed down and everything. So once I was uh, down on the ground, I decided to tiptoe over, check out the impact spot, and there was good blood everywhere from the impact. Now, the arrow did not pass through. That was one thing that I was concerned about, but the angle, the way he was quartering away, and the way the arrow went in, I was pretty sure that it hit the opposite shoulder and wasn't able to pass through, but it looked like really good penetration. Well, that's a that's a perfect shot. I mean, and some of those larger um, mechanicals, you know, they take so much energy to open, and when they're slicing through all that, you know, you you have what a two inch or even above a two inch cut, two point three, yeah, that rage extreme. Yeah, so I mean, that's I mean, it's cutting a lot, but it's slowing down. As sure. it's going through. Then you hit that shoulder, um, which is a perfect backstop. Uh, you know, I know you want two holes, but, that, I mean, normally if you aim for that back shoulder, you're getting the double lung that you're looking for. And, I mean, once you sent me that broadhead and that arrow, you should, I mean, you should have seen the look on my face. I was, <laughs> I was going duck hunting and just, like, smiling ear to ear. I mean, showing my brother who was driving the truck. It was awesome. That's fantastic. I just knew you had him dead there. Yeah, I, I, I felt pretty good. But, you know, we've all been in that situation where you always have that little bit of doubt in the back of your mind. Like, okay, i got to 
take my time, not get crazy, not go running after him unless unless you see him go down, of course. But that that was the only thing that I, I didn't see him go down. And did you hear a crash? I mean, you kind of saw I did. him. Oh, you did. Yeah. Okay, good. Because yeah. like my doe, I my arrow looked really good, but no crash and. And uh, I kind of had that weird feeling, and uh, so yeah, I, I think those are good words of advice. But right, right. So I get all packed up, and at this point, probably been about a half an hour, forty-five minutes went by. Uh, texted a buddy of mine that was hunting on the other side of town here, and he said, "You need a hand." I said, "Well, finish hunting. I'm not in any hurry. If, if you want to head over," he said, "I'll be over." He said, it's "Slow over here." So I knew I had help on the way. That was a good feeling to have. So uh, once I hit the hour mark, I decided to start heading down the trail. And the blood trail was just fantastic. From that point on, from the impact all the way down to where I heard him crash, uh, it didn't take long. I got down to the edge of the uh, drop-off where the creek is, and I could see him laying there in the creek, and it was just party time. Yeah. Oh, man. That's awesome. Congratulations, man. And Thank then, you very much. And what did you walk up on? Well, it, it looked like a um, just a mainframe 10. Beautiful, um, beautiful deer. Heavy heavy buck, big body, man alive. He'd, he'd been he'd been pounding the acorns and uh, found out when I got closer that he had a little bit of a split on his one brow time, so that gave him a little bit extra character. But uh, mostly a typical rack, nothing nothing crazy. And uh, once I got him gutted out, that rage went right through the heart and did stop on the other shoulder. So he he had no prayer. Nice shot. And uh, I forgot to mention, once I got to the blood trail at the impact, I did pull out my rangefinder. It was 28 yards to the tree. So... I was right in a wheelhouse, and I'm I'm shooting a single pin uh, HHA. I was just going to ask you that, which is adjustable, and uh, I have a 20, 30, 40, 50 yard adjustment on it. And I had had it on my 20 yard pin. That's that's pretty standard. That's a pretty flat shooting bow that I've got, and I just put it a little bit higher on the uh, shoulder than I normally would have, just to allow for you know that extra 10 yards instead of trying to fiddle with it and get it down because it happened so quick once he was there i i'd completely forgotten about the uh tacticam that my family just got oh, me for yeah, my birthday <laughs> so, well and, yeah. and you bring up a good point on the on the on the single pin site i've used a single pin slider or adjustable site for probably close to a decade now and if you have time to adjust that's great um right you know I think you should always range a deer before you shoot it, and that's just a standard comment. Now, does that ever happen? Not probably nine out of ten times to me. No, sure. like no, you're you're flying by the seat of your pants, and yeah, he's about twenty eight or he's thirty or what what have you, and sometimes you hit perfect, sometimes you mess up. But what I've done, um, if I can't range him. I normally put that on like a a 30 yard all the time, and that way, okay, if he's 30 and he's at, you know, or your pin's at 30 and he's at 20, your arrow's going to go a little high uh, 
if anything. So, right. And and that's not always a bad thing if he's a little bit steep below you. You always want to aim a little higher. Um, sure. And that way you kind of have an adjustment. If you want to go 20, you could aim a little lower, or uh, you know 40, aim a little higher. Just piece of advice I I heard from somebody else a while back, and uh, for those guys using the single pins, but you seem to have it covered as well. You know, just hold that a little bit high on your 20 yard pin, and you know it's going to float right right into the right into the heart. Right, apparently, right. yeah, and and guys that have those single pins will practice that. You know, I I spend a lot of time in the backyard. I'll get to the 30-yard line, and I won't change it to the 30 just to see yep. how that arrow behaves. Exactly. So, exactly. so it all depends on your setup. You know, for the listeners out there, just make sure you're familiar with how that's going to fly and how that's going to react at different ranges. I like that. Yep. All right, so then what? You drug him down the mountain? Well, I got down, got him all dressed out, and uh, next thing I hear is this uh, motor coming up. The up the mountain and uh here my my buddy chris went home and got his polaris ranger and got permission from one of the uh board members to run the quad up to the deer and that, that saved us a few hours there getting that big boy out of there <laughs> is that the chris i know no no okay this different, is, chris? This is a different chris yeah okay. well that was nice of him yeah save uh oh yeah save yeah. busting your butt all the way down that hill absolutely all right. And so. uh, the the, re- the rest of the day was spent uh, exchanging pictures and well, you know how it is, especially in <laughs> in, in high pressured places where somebody gets a nice buck. Word travels fast, and uh, next thing you know, I'm getting trail cam pictures of, from other guys and oh, we've been watching that buck and this, that, and the other thing. Oh, good for you, man. That's and you were on the best end of uh, of that conversation. Not absolutely. Not sending your trail camera pictures to somebody else who harvested. You were, you were the guy. Right. right. Well, congratulations, Brian. That's that's a beautiful deer, and and anybody who's on our Facebook page has probably already seen Brian's deer. Um, we did post it up, but uh, it's just just a gorgeous deer. And I have a couple of questions though. Um, absolutely. So this. You know, we're, we're trying to do these game plan episodes that you're well aware of, and uh, we have you on here, and I want to talk a little bit about how you killed this buck, but it's different. So yours is a little bit different, I feel, than, than some of the other ones. Like, the time of the year, in my opinion, I don't think matters quite as much as the other game plan episodes we've done, Right. Um, and, sure. cor- and correct me if I'm wrong, but like I'm, I'm thinking because you're doing the hunting beast style hunt, um, and it's before the rut, so I guess timing does kind of matter. So I, I take that back a little bit, but you can do this same style you're doing from October one or whenever your season opens, um, even through the rut, correct? That's correct, yeah. I mean, as as we know, we follow those guys. And for any of your listeners out there, there's a hunting beast forum uh, on the Internet that you can go to. Or if you just want to add it to your Facebook, you can join the group, Hunting Beast Forum. And, uh, man, yeah, all all season long, guys are putting them down open today all the way through the so-called October law. Yep. They're, they're, put, they're putting big bucks down. So, yeah, I, those tactics can be applied anytime. 
And and so when we normally talk about okay, uh, you know, acorns are are hot early season or get on get on the green food source or or you know etc. You were just hunting a buck in his bed, and and maybe you didn't know that bed was there specifically, but you had done enough digital scouting online. So I think the the digital scouting is probably one of the first things you did right there. I mean, absolutely. What else did you do uh, that you could maybe point our listeners to a good, a good direction? You know, being almost Halloween, uh, what other you know strategies could they take from this hunt? Yeah, one thing uh, I, I live within a couple miles of the area, so I'm constantly running back and forth here. This, this sportsman's club is actually between my house and where I work, my house and my kids' school my house and where we shop. So I'm constantly back and forth by here. So just just the sheer amount of time I spend on the road, you'll see these mature bucks at night and where they're hanging out and what caliber of bucks. And you could sort of start to get an idea because of the, the, the landscape of there's only certain areas that they can travel back and forth and there's only certain places that they can bed. And, you know, I, I'd Put that out there as a tip for anybody that that has an opportunity to hunt close to home. Just keep your eyes open, keep your ears open. You'll hear people say, "Man, I saw a big buck over here," and then you might not put too much thought into it. But then a couple of days later, a different person will say, "I saw a big buck in the same spot," and you start to put together, well, "Maybe I should start pay attention to this." Pull up a map, see how the the terrain flows, and uh, if you can, obviously it's better to get out there and put boots on the ground. I just wasn't able to do that in this situation, but it worked out. Yeah, and, you know, when somebody says that, there's a big buck in the area, I mean, places like Michigan, PA, you know, Indiana, New York, like, you got to listen. Like, it's not just like there's, you know, seven of them around the corner. I mean, my neighbors and I, we know the buck. You know, we know the two bucks. Um, Right. So that's, I think that's a very good piece of advice. I'm glad you mentioned that. Uh, what else do you have? Uh, something interesting I picked up when I was watching the, the Drury's today. Uh, Matt Drury shot a monster. I believe it was on Friday. It was either Friday or Saturday. And uh, his dad, Terry Drury, was saying that the uh, moon was setting late that morning. And uh, from what they've seen over the years, a lot of those bucks will try to get back to their bed right around the moon set. And, and when it becomes later in the morning, when that moon's setting, those bucks will be a little bit later to their beds. So you figure really? I shot this nice. buck around 8:20, and I was looking at the uh, Wonderground history for last Friday, and the moon was setting at 9:30 a.m. So that sort of made sense that you know if that's some guys go along with the theory that the moon has a lot to play into it, some don't. But if we're looking at it from that standpoint. It makes a lot of sense. Buck was still on his feet, coming back, trying to get back to his bed before the moon set. Well, I've I've heard that a few times, uh, mostly from those guys. But I mean, um, that the overhead moon or or where the moon's still in the sky. Um, for layman's terms, does that do the deer think that it's still nighttime out? Is that what that means? Yeah, and I think it has something to do with... Uh, Not like it's dark and it's light. I know they can tell the difference between that, but like... Sure, sure. Yeah, and, and there's a lot there's a lot of scientific 
information behind it that uh, okay. there could be some like gravitational pulls that have to do with the position of the moon too. But okay. it, it, it's hard to say. It, it, it's like one of those things that uh, you know you can't argue with, with the juries when they say <laughs> we, we think that this works. You yeah. can't say, well, what evidence do you have? Yeah, well, they've no. got it. I I fully agree, I fully agree with that. Yep. But I've seen studies where biologists have done studies and say the moon has absolutely nothing to do with deer movement from collaring deer and watching their movement. So so I get it. I understand both sides of it. But it's just another piece of the puzzle, I think, that it helps just to pay attention to everything. And then maybe you can take some tendencies moving forward to your next hunt to say, oh, maybe I should hunt this stand instead of that stand because X, Y, Z. No, I think that's awesome. Those are some great strategies there, uh, some great pieces of advice. I think the one thing that I picked up on, um, something I'm a fan of, and I've, I've heard this from one other person before, and, and you are now number two, maybe by accident, maybe not. A guy back when I used to hunt my, my friend's farm in college, he had this immature buck grunt call, right? And it sounded like a duck call almost, like a quack. And <laughs> he killed the biggest freaking nine-point while I was in the stand on the neighboring property. I, I mean, I heard him shoot. I heard the deer slam into the fence. I heard the whole thing. And we helped him drag it out. It was probably 150-inch nine-point. And uh, he, he blew on his grunt call when I went over there. And it blew my mind, and I, I just it never left me after that. And since then, I have grunted in deer with an immature buck call and killed them under my stand. And it's one of the only grunts I use in higher pressured areas. I think um, if you and, and I don't have proof for this, but I think if you go out there and you start ripping this big deep grunt tube and it's, you know aggressive grunt call, I mean. There's probably not a lot of big deer ready to kick ass in all these areas that I hunt. So when you're a little more subtle about it and you do that little quack quack of a, or, you know, a little light toned grunt, I think it may be, let's see, less intimidating is maybe the way I'm looking to put it for sure for a higher a, a buck in a higher pressured area. Does that make sense? Definitely makes sense. So, and you said your your call was set at that. I'm not sure if that's part of your strategy or not, but I carry a deep grunt for something that needs to be louder if it's windy or something, but I, I have that, that immature buck grunt around my neck uh, at all times. So I just right. want to point that out. Yeah, this this particular model is a Primos, uh, and it's it's adjustable. So it can go from, you know, a fawn bleat all the way down to a deep uh, mature buck grunt. And the nice thing is it's set so you can exhale with a grunt and inhale, and it'll make a bleat. So if, if you want to simulate a, uh, a buck tendon a doe and she's bleating and he's grunting behind her, it's, it's real simple to do without having to change anything up. But that's just the grunt tube that I've had for years. I'm comfortable with it, just like we talked about the single pins. You have to use what you're comfortable with. Yes, sir. I like that. Well, any other strategies or um, tips or uh, you know tactics that you use on this game plan to kill this nice, beautiful PA ten point? Just real quick on the uh, grunting, 
Uh, I personally don't blind call. That's why I was hesitant. But hearing that cough or whatever you want to call it, and it just, I can remember reading stuff about guys hearing that, and I thought, well, it's worth a shot. So I was grunting in response to something that I heard. I wouldn't recommend a guy just getting in the stand and blind calling for no reason. Now, some guys have had success that way. That That's personally not how I do it. And why don't you blind call normally? Well, without seeing the deer, I like to wait until I have visual eyes on the deer, whether it's a doe, young buck, mature buck. I want to see how they react to that call because that'll tell you a lot, you know, if you should give them another call, if you should get louder, if you should get less aggressive, more aggressive. Whereas if you're just blind calling, you don't know how those deer are reacting to that sound. They might just skirt out of there and you had a, a mature bucket 50 yards in a thicket and you had no idea he was even there and you just scared him out of there. That's that's personally why I don't do it. No, I think you're exactly right. I think uh, number one, they could alert a mature buck of your location, like you just said. Uh, number two, you can read how they react, like you also just said. I remember a buck I shot in Ohio. Um, I had my binos up. I had my grunt tube in my mouth. And I'm watching him. I could kind of see him through all the brush. I grunted. And he didn't turn his head at all. But his ears turned. I knew he heard me just by the way his ear turned. And I stopped right then. Because he was listening. He was trying to pinpoint where I was at. Right. And in my opinion, if you know that they heard you, even though he didn't turn his head and look, even though he just twitched his ear a little bit, you shut up, and then you, and then you let them come in. So by by judging how the deer reacts, uh, like you said, uh, I was able to stop. He eventually turned my way after not even looking, and came right into bow range. So just some just some you know more rut advice as everybody's getting out in the woods. Um, I mean this episode is going to launch tomorrow on Halloween, and everybody's going to be in the woods. And if you're out there grunting at bucks, make sure just to you know, just keep an eye on them, and, and if they do hear you, if they give you the time of day and they look at you, lock it up, in my opinion. <laughs> Definitely. So, what else you got, Brian? Anything else on the game plan? Any more rut advice for anybody else? Yeah, stay mobile. I mean, that's that's what I was on this hunt. I, I went in there, first sit, you hear so many guys talk about killing these bucks on these first sits in the area. They're not in there. Um, with a permanent stand, making all kind of noise, cutting all kind of shooting lanes. You know, you're slipping in there for the very first time. That's the element of surprise, and you can see why guys are so successful with it. Quick quick uh, survey. How many of the bucks on your wall are from a first sit in terms of percentages? Like actual shoulder-mounted deer, the ones, that, you know, you're super proud of. Or maybe not even shoulder-mounted, but, like, your best bucks. I bet 75%. Yep, I'm at 100. You believe okay. that? Yeah, I believe it. 100%. I believe it. And I, I'll tell you what, I'm I'm really thinking about doing this more on my 40-acre farm, too, because you get in the habit of putting these stands out, leaving your scent there, hunting the same stands, and these deer know where you're at. Like uh, uh, Randy we were talking to, uh, 
from strategic habitat. He he had mentioned about the ground scent and the bucks picking it up, you know, hours later uh, at night when you're gone. Uh, I had a buck in Ohio. I was sitting on my farm and I heard this leaves crunching behind me and I just slowly, slowly, slowly turned my head. I, I made no movement. I was sitting like a statue. And this mature buck came in and looked right up in the stand to see if anybody was in there. Man. Yeah, he uh, he had smelled that you had been there before. Um, right. One time probably or another, had seen, right? Probably had seen me or, or some of my hunting buddies up there before. Yeah. Had us patterned. So, yeah, yeah that's, that's definitely one thing for coming up with the rut. I know guys grind it out and they think, well, I got this great pinch point and I'm just going to grind it. And they'll grind it for five days, all day, 12 hours, sitting on a pinch point. After a couple of days, if you're not seeing anything, if you're seeing more action on the next ridge, get down and move. Yeah. Stay mobile. Yeah. No, that, that's, yeah, another great piece of advice. Um, my favorite my favorite setup is to stay mobile, but it's so nice to just go climb up in a stand, too, so I, I get why. Oh, yeah. I know. I love I mean, it. I love those hang-ons with the ladders, and I can have my coffee till the last minute and just <laughs> strut back there. But Yeah. And and that has its place, but you know you gotta you gotta be smart about it. Well, awesome, Brian. I don't know about you, buddy, but the day after tomorrow, I'm gonna be doing my first all day sit of the year, and I am fired up right now. So excellent. Yeah, you got some, you got some time off. Yeah, I'm gonna take a couple days. Um, it's about time. So. Absolutely. How about you? You getting back out soon? You gonna head to Ohio, or or what are your thoughts? I know Pennsylvania, well, you're done. So. Yeah, I'm done with the buck tag, but uh, I'm I'm pretty intrigued about this bear archery season that overlaps with uh, deer archery this week. Oh wow! So after I uh, get the trick or treat thing done on Wednesday, I'm heading up to the mountains in uh, northwest Pennsylvania oh, to man. a buddy's camp, and we're gonna. We're going to try to get a bear with a bow. Well, make sure you post up some pictures for uh, me and everybody else to see. So while, while you're living the, the mountainous high life, I'll be uh, sitting in a swamp. <laughs> yeah, and hopefully Sunday I'll I'll be over back in the farmland and trying to put in a high tag on one of those bucks I've been feeding all year. <laughs> yeah, about time to pay his bill. So. <laughs> Well, Brian, I appreciate you coming on, man. That's a that's a hell of a Pennsylvania deer, hell of a Michigan deer or any deer. Um, not just to call it a PA deer, uh, but that is uh, any one of my friends here in Michigan would be super proud to shoot that buck. So, yeah, nice job on that. Thanks for coming on and uh, spending your time on the podcast. And uh, you know, good luck this weekend. Keep me posted and. Well, everybody, thanks again for tuning in to another episode of the Habitat Podcast. My friend Brian and I are having a blast doing this. Brian, the game plan episode. Thanks for coming on, man. Oh, you're welcome. I enjoyed it. Nice to be on this end of uh, telling that story. Oh, I, I keep saying it in all these game plan episodes. I'm super jealous in the best way possible. <laughs> <laughs> But, no, seriously, nice nice buck again, and thanks for coming on. Um, why don't you tell us what's new on the YouTube? Yeah, we finally got everything uploaded. Uh, YouTube channel, Habitat Podcast, you just search in the uh, YouTube search or, or the Google search. You'll find us, it's the same logo. 
that we've got on all of our other platforms. Uh, we've got a trailer uploaded there, give you a little bit of uh, the direction that we're wanting to go, uh, give you a little teaser on uh, what our approach is going to be. We just want to bring you guys the content that you want to see. And uh, it kind of helps to visualize, you know, listen to us jabber on all these podcasts, but it's nice to sit down and look at a video and say, oh, okay. Sometimes that ties up the loose ends for you, so we're going to try to bring you stuff like that with the habitat, some hunting updates, and just some general stuff that's going on with the with the podcast and our guests. We're going to try to drop a video every Monday. That's going to be the plan. Uh, we're a little bit screwed up here with the rut, so I'm going to try to drop something <laughs> in the next couple of days. But uh, going forward, yeah, check back on Mondays. Make sure you subscribe and send us comments. Let us know what you want to see. Yeah, um, and for those who can't find it on YouTube, uh, you can go ahead on our Facebook.com slash Habitat Podcast. The, the teaser or trailer is up there with a link to the, the Habitat Podcast YouTube. Uh, please subscribe. Um, you know, in addition to Brian's comments, uh, we want to bring you new videos, new content every Monday, um, part of our Habitat Podcast TV. We want to take you through the tours of our farms specifically uh, throughout the summer and uh, even maybe some, some listener projects. You know, if you guys are working on something cool and you're, and you're videoing it, uh, you know, let us know. Uh, you'll be happy to, to put some of that up there. I mean, you guys are as much of this as we are. So let's do that. And, you know, um, I want to thank you guys for listening, as always. Thank our sponsors, the, you know, the Habitat Hook, the Packer Max on a call to Packers. Guys, Christmas is coming up. Give your wife the domain name to their websites. Baby, I want this for Christmas. I'm going to do that. It works perfect. And, you know, just get this stuff going. Uh, these guys are great people. They have great products. And, you know, we just want to show support to them by um, helping our listeners, you know, with some of their new products. So check them out. You can also find us on HabitatPodcast.com. We have a blog going up there. We are also on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Facebook, and Instagram at Habitat Podcast. Guys, get out and enjoy your woods. Thanks for tuning along with Brian and I as we become better habitat managers. And we will talk to you guys next week. Enjoy the rest.